Good morning, Journey. Hey, so we're six Sundays into 2018, and here is our goal every Sunday at Journey in 2018. Our goal this year is to help you find times of refreshment in following Jesus. In Acts chapter 319, the apostle Peter is preaching his second ever message to this new Christian church, and he makes this statement, when you follow Jesus, your life experiences times of refreshing. What we find at our church is there are a lot of people at our church who are following Jesus, but they are not living in times of refreshing. So something else in their life is getting in the way of their walk with Jesus and that bringing refreshment to their soul. So we said this year we're going to focus on those things and we're going to look at some biblical principles of things that we need to get organized in our life so our life with Jesus might be refreshing. We started last month in a series called Death to Distractions and we just said, listen, we've got to clear away some distractions that are getting in the way of time with Jesus that could be refreshing to us. This month we're focusing on a series called Broken. And we are trying to figure out how to break the cycle of living spent. We're talking about money and how a desire for money or just having to work to keep paying the bills can get in the way of our walk spiritually and keep us from experiencing times of refreshing. And just a little bit of review. If you haven't already, pull your notes out of your bulletins. You can follow along or fire up your Journey Church International app. Why are we talking about money? For those of you who are brand new and say you shouldn't talk about money at church, why are we talking about money? Well, we're talking about money because we learned last week who and what we ultimately serve is important. And Jesus said you either serve God or you serve money. It was hyperbole. It was an exaggeration. But Jesus basically said if you were always trying to figure out how to get the next thing or pay the next bill, that will move God out of your life. So God said you can't serve me and money. I've got to be on the throne of your life. Why are we talking about money? Because God wants our heart. And Jesus last week says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. God says, I know how to find my way to your heart by just following your money trail. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So last week I gave you a broken challenge. And here was the challenge that I gave everyone. I asked you to spy on your money all week long. We know the first step to really managing money well is having a system where you track it. So last week I asked you to spy on your money as you spent it, but the goal is that eventually you'll begin to look at your money before you spend it and you'll have what's called a budget. Two out of three Americans do not have and operate their finances with a budget. So we're just trying to give you baby steps to kind of move you in the right direction financially. And the Bible has a lot to say about how to do that. But the primary biblical lessons on money are about living, not giving. I mean, Jesus spoke more on the topic of money than he did heaven and hell combined. I want you to think about how much spirituality must be tied to our finances if Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. But when he talked about money, he didn't often talk about giving. He talked about living. And he said, there's a lot you need to learn about managing money to help you live the life that I've come so that you could live. So this series is about managing money. It's not a series on giving. There are no giving messages in this series. We don't want your money. We want you to have more of your money. And we want you to have more of your money in the places that God says your money should be focused. Because I believe what the Bible teaches us about money proves what God wants for us, not from us. Like I think when the Bible says, hey, do this financially, it's not because God wants something from you. It's because God wants something for you. You say, what does God want from me financially? Well, I know he wants financial freedom. I know he wants you not to feel like you have to get up just to go to work, just to pay the bills. He doesn't want you to serve money. I know that. I know he wants you to have financial impact. I I know he wants you as a Christian every time you hear that somebody is hurting. I I know he wants you to have the ability to, to help in some way. And I know he wants you to have financial enjoyment. 
I mean, Solomon said there's nothing better in life than to eat and drink and be happy and enjoy your life with your family and friends. So I know God wants those things for you. So if you're sick of living spent, if you're sick of always having more month than money, this series is going to teach you a lot. And if that's not you, but you know someone like it, or if that's not you, but you have teenagers, you're going to learn so much good biblical info this month on managing money. And maybe, just maybe, by learning how to do this, we'll experience more times of refreshment together from God. Today we're in First Chronicles chapter 29. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn there, First Chronicles 29. It'll be on the screen. It'll also be on the app. And today we're going to learn our third biblical principle about finances from David. Who's David? David was the youngest of eight sons. David was a shepherd who became a warrior. He killed a giant named Goliath. He became the military commander of Israel for more than a decade. He led Israel in and out of battles to conquer their enemies and eventually became the king of Israel. At 40 years, after 40 years of being king, um, David decided he wanted to build God a temple in the city that he had kind of made the capital of Israel, Jerusalem. So he went to a prophet and he said, hey, I'm going to build God a temple. And the prophet said, great idea, sounds great. God came to the prophet and said, not David. David can't build my temple because David has secured his throne. David has secured this country through war. And a man of blood cannot be the man to build my temple. That's not how I want to be known throughout the world. So your son Solomon can build it. You can get everything ready, but you can't build it. I need a man of peace and wisdom to build this thing. So David says, okay. So what we find out in 1 Chronicles 28 is David brought together all of his older friends and basically said this, listen, my son's going to be in charge eventually. And then your sons are going to be helping him. And listen, we know our sons are dumb and broke. So if we leave this to them, they're never going to build this thing. So here's what we're going to do. Before I die, before you die, we're going to take a big offering and we are going to buy all the supplies for the temple. We're going to get them ready so that when we die, our sons basically can't blow this thing. So that's what they did. In today's dollars, the offerings that they gave in 1 Chronicles 27 and 28 um, would be worth billions of dollars. So billions of dollars come in, gold, silver, copper, um, tools for building the temple, supplies for building the temple. And when it all comes in as David's getting ready to hand Solomon the keys to the kingdom and the keys to the bank and the, the plans for the temple, he says this prayer to God. And while he's praying, thanking him for this offering, he reveals to us some biblical principles for how to see money that are really, really powerful. I want you to look with me at 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 16. Here's what we read. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things, and your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we've only given you what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope, but Lord our God, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and God, all of it belongs to you. So we are this month learning biblical principles of finance. Last week we learned two. Principle number one, we learned that the law of the harvest says we sow and reap in different seasons. So it's possible to have bad money management practices for a long time and not feel it, but you eventually reap what you sow, and sometimes in your mid-30s, mid-40s, you make more than you've ever made in life, and you have less 
than you've ever had. We reap what we sow. We also learn principle number two, that your heart is buried deep within your treasure and you have to surrender your treasure for God to get your heart. We talked about my little dog, Rudy, digging in the trash, not because he wanted the trash, but because in the bottom of the trash was one of his treat bags with just a little bit of a treat left. God says, I don't want your money. I can't even use your money. But your heart is so tight in your money that I need your money so I can learn how to do surgery on your heart. I'll take your heart and then you can have your money back. Your treasure and your heart are tied together. Today, we're going to learn from David's prayer, principle number three. And here's what David says. Everything comes from God and everything belongs to God. This is a Christian view for those of you in the room who are Christians. This is a Christian view of finances. David said, God, everything comes from you. God, everything belongs to you. But David's not the only one who says that. My guess is that you've said that. As a matter of fact, I bet you haven't just said it. I bet you've prayed it. You might not know you prayed it. You might not have meant it when you prayed it, but I bet you've prayed it. Have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? I mean, at anything in life that you've done, have you ever prayed it before a sporting event or after a sporting event? Have you ever prayed it at a friend's funeral? Did you pray it at your Christian or Catholic school growing up? Have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? Because if you've prayed the Lord's Prayer, you have prayed, God, everything comes from you and belongs to you. Say, no way, Christian. Yeah, remember the prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the, and the, and the glory forever. Now, Jesus didn't say those words. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he stopped with the lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He said, where did those words come from? Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Where did those words come from? David's prayer. Didn't you see them? First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. And you are exalted as head over all. Those words in that Lord's prayer came from that. So when you say, God, yours is the kingdom and the glory. And Lord, yours is the the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Basically, you're saying, God, everything is yours. Yours is the kingdom. It's all yours. Yours is the power. It all comes from you. Yours is the glory. It's all about you. If you've prayed the Lord's Prayer, you have prayed everything comes from God and belongs to God and is about God. My question is, do you believe it? Because if you believe that, that can absolutely change your life. Everything comes from God and belongs to God, which means something very interesting. That means what you have, you didn't earn and you didn't own. That means what you have, you didn't earn and you don't own. You say, wait a minute, Christian, I worked really, really hard. Okay, I get that. And God may have used your really, really hard work to give to you, but everything comes from God. Say, wait a minute, but I have invested. This is mine now, not according to David, not according to the Bible. I mean, it may be under your name, but you don't own it. It's because God has allowed you to have it. If everything comes from God and belongs to God, then we didn't earn it and we don't own it, but we have it. That's the interesting part of this. We didn't earn it. We don't own it, but we have it, right? We do have it, right? Yes, you do. So what am I supposed to do with it? That's the right question. And the answer is a word that we don't use anymore in the English language. It's an old English word called stewardship. We don't use the word stewardship much anymore, but when you don't earn something and you don't earn, own something, but you have something and you're in charge of something, it's a practice called stewardship. Stewardship defined as this, the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Stewardship 
is taking care of something that's not yours as if it was yours. Stewardship is being given something to manage, but on behalf of someone else. Stewardship is hard for us to see because we don't have stewards anymore. I had several friends who, you know, had someone who every now and then would come clean their house, but I didn't have any friends who grew up with like a butler, like a live-in butler. Like I didn't have one friend who had Mr. Belvedere or Jeffrey running around. Like there were no live-in butlers in my world. So we don't really see butler steward type people. But a few years ago, Danielle came to me and she said, I've been hearing on Facebook, there's this really cool show on PBS called Downton Abbey that we've got to start watching. Will you watch it with me? And I thought, I'm not going to watch a chick flick. And then I watched one show and I thought, this is awesome because I was a history major in college. And I love just seeing history kind of come to life. And this is a show about kind of a wealthy family distantly connected to the royal family in England. It started with the sinking in the t- of the Titanic in the 1912-1913 area. Uh, it ended with World War II getting ready to break out. So kind of from 1910 to 1940, you get like this look at very, very wealthy England, the royal family, and then the servants and where the servants lived and life in the village and how everything worked. And it was a fascinating show. But one of the reasons I loved it as a Christian is because it showed me stewardship. Probably the lead actor in the entire series is a guy by the name of Carson. And Carson was not just the butler. Carson was the steward of Downton Abbey, the Crawley's property. He was in charge of all the servants. He was in charge of all the food. He was in charge of all the money. He was in charge of all the land. He was in charge of all the animals. He was in charge of all the clothes. He was in charge of everything, but he didn't own anything. He took care of it as if it was his but none of it belonged to him. It was a great picture of stewardship, taking care of something as if it was his. It was a great picture of stewardship, something given to you to manage, but on behalf of somebody else, stewardship. Let's look at that definition one more time. The conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Stewardship is not a word we use but we know what it looks like when it goes wrong. Are any of you familiar with the name Bernie Madoff? Bernie Madoff is a picture of stewardship when it goes wrong. Bernie Madoff and his fund ran the largest Ponzi scheme in the history of Wall Street. From the 1970s to 2008, they took in more than $18 billion of people's money that was entrusted to them to be taken care of on behalf of somebody else. It wasn't his money. It was given to him to be taken care of so that somebody else could eventually come back and get it. And they took care of it pretty well. That $18 billion was invested to the point that it made $65 billion. But when the people went to get their money out, it was gone. Because Bernie and his family and his friends and his advisors, half of who have now committed suicide and half, the other half who were in prison, they spent it all on themselves. They just took it and they kept it. I mean, we know what stewardship is because in our country, it's illegal to be entrusted with somebody else's money and to invest it the way you want instead of the way they want and to spend it the way you want instead of the way they want. Like that's actually illegal to do. Could you imagine going to the bank tomorrow and say, I've been learning about money from church. I want to withdraw all my money. I'm going to start over with a brand new plan. And the bank teller saying, "Um, oh, your money's gone. Sorry. And you say, what do you mean all my money's gone? Like I've been investing every paycheck. I put money in. I've got it on direct deposit. What do you mean all my money's gone? And the bank teller is saying, well, I had family in town this weekend um, and they wanted to go to the plaza and shop and eat at nice restaurants. So I took it and I used it and there's like, there's none left. Like you would call the cops. 
you would not say, ah, that's too bad. Like, that's illegal to be a bad steward. So we know what stewardship is. Being given something on behalf of someone else to take care of it, to then give it back to them. We know what stewardship is. But in David's story, David says, we're the bank teller. David says, we are Bernie Madoff. You say, well, what do you mean, stealing God's money? I mean, I mean this. No, we're entrusted. We're entrusted with the riches of God to invest it in the things that God wants us to invest it in so that he can receive glory and we can receive blessing. Like God, when he gives you, he's already got an idea of the portfolio that he wants you to invest in. And God said, this is my money. Here's how I want you to manage it. This will bring me glory. This will bring you tremendous blessing. So stewardship is the thought that everything comes from God and belongs to God. And we're not supposed to waste it all doing things that we want to do. We're supposed to invest it the way God wants it invested. Everything comes from God and belongs to God. And when you look at David's heart, you can tell that really the heart is where this seed either sinks in or gets rejected. Because in verse 14, we see David's heart and what he thinks about what God has given him. And look at the heart of David. No wonder God chose him to be king. He says, God, who am I? Like, who am I, God? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? He looked at this billion-dollar offering and thought, this is unbelievable. Like, God, who am I? And who are, like, all my friends that we would have this much money? This is unbelievable. And then he said, everything comes from you. And man, this, these billions, we've only given you what comes from your hand. You see, David isn't burdened by having to manage money God's way. He's certainly not burdened, nor is his leadership crew, by having to give God any of their money. He sees it as a blessing. As a matter of fact, he sees it as a gift. He looks at what he's given, and, and he's just shocked that he has that much to give. And here's the deal. When we see everything we have as a gift from God that ultimately belongs to God, man, it really begins to change the way we see things. When we see everything as a gift from God that ultimately belongs to God, it changes the way we see God. All of a sudden, our attitude changes about how good God is. It changes the way we see money. All of a sudden, we look at what we have and we see things as a gift rather than a, than a burden, and we see everything as a blessing. It changes the way we see the connection between God and money. Now we don't see a God who all he wants from us is our money. We see all he wants for us with our money. And things change when we believe everything comes from God and belongs to God. All of a sudden, we look at every dollar of our money with gratitude. I mean, we look at everything we have and we have this extreme thankfulness, this gratitude that begins creeping up into my heart. You know, God, thank you for what you've given me. When we see everything as a gift from God that ultimately belongs to God, it brings accountability. It's interesting how we're more accountable with somebody else's stuff than we are our own. You know, every now and then, Daniel and I will have friends that go out of town and they'll ask, hey, can our kids who are close in age to your kids, can they stay at your house? And we're like, sure, they can stay at our house. And when we know we're accountable to watch someone else's kid, it's like, go out and get like the real stuff, like not Dr. Thunder, like Dr. Pepper, right? It's like, go, go get the, re you know, the real hostess things, not the knockoffs. Like we got guests this week. We're going to wake up every day and eat breakfast. We never do that as a regular family. But when somebody else's family's here, like we're going to take great care of them and we're going to cook dinner at home every night. And we're going to be like, leave it to beaver we are accountable to watch over this family. Like we're more accountable with someone else's stuff than we are with our own. And it makes us number three, responsible. It brings responsibility. When we see everything we have as a gift from God that ultimately belongs to God, it brings responsibility. 
we realize we want to manage in a way and invest in things that the, the owner would want us to invest in. And this is why money, and this is how money becomes this area in our lives that allows the owner, that allows the master to see our hearts. It's really easy in the area of money for the master to understand whether or not we see things as a gift or not. So last Sunday I turned 40, um, and I had so many birthday wishes and thoughts that I can't even remember them all, but I think my favorite one was my dad's. Um, My dad, who is forever my dad, and I'm forever his son, posted on his social media, you know, today my boy turns 40, I'm going to celebrate his birthday by throwing on some old film and watching it. My dad is not just forever my dad and I'm forever his son. He's forever my coach and I'm forever his quarterback. My dad was my high school football coach. And when I thought of my dad on my birthday watching old film, he has every film from high school and college, just sitting thinking about me on my birthday watching film, it just kind of brought a chuckle to my head. But because we were talking about finances, I remembered one of the worst fights I ever got in with my parents over money. Um, I was extremely blessed to be able to get a full scholarship to play football in college. I didn't pay a dime for college. I didn't even know college cost money. It was like that full of a scholar. Like every book, every meal, everything was paid for. I didn't even, I didn't even know. I thought college was like high school. Like you just showed up. I didn't even know you had to pay anything. It was that taken care of. But when I went to school, if you had a scholarship, you were not allowed to have a job. You could not earn an income between day one of the season and the end of the season, the semester, because at that time, people were just paying athletes to work fake jobs. So you weren't allowed to make any money. So I had to work all summer long. And on the last day of summer, I had to put everything in savings. And I had from the last day of summer till the first day of winter break to make that stuff last. And then I worked over winter break, put everything in the bank. And I had from the last day of winter break to getting out in early May to make that last. And I always ran out of money. I spent too much money too fast. Every year I was out by Thanksgiving. Because when you live in the football dorm, football guys eat a lot. And every night around midnight, there would be a run to the border. You say, did you go to school in Texas? No, Virginia. Taco Bell, not Mexico. Like every night around 1145, there'd just be this wave out our dorm. And we would go get a 10-pack or a 20-pack of tacos, whatever, each to eat, to just try to keep our calories up for everything that we were doing. And I would always run out of money. My parents were school teachers. Um, My dad was a coach. I had teammates whose parents were businessmen and businesswomen and and attorneys and doctors. um, And they had, it just seemed like more money to spend than I did. And my mom and dad never gave me money. And I always thought it was unfair. So I remember going home at Thanksgiving break and saying, I need, like, I need some money. I'm out. And I got to eat and everyone else gets to eat and I have to stay and do homework. And they're like, well, you need to spend your money better. And I, and I got so angry that I hatched a plan to figure out how to get my mom and dad to give me more money one Christmas break. I went home over Christmas break. I called a meeting with my parents to help them understand why they needed to give me more money to make a run for the border. Not a lot, just like $100. I would always be like one month short. And I sat down with my mom and dad and I just said, listen, I know you've told me no in the past, but here's what I need you to understand. Do you have any idea how much money you're saving on college because I'm good at football? Like, do you, like have, you, have you done the math on how much money you're saving? Have you done the math on how much money I have saved you? And I said, listen, if you had to pay for college, it would be so much more than $100 to go to Taco Bell. So I'm just asking, when I run out of money, can you put some money in the bank account? And I remember my parents saying, let us talk about it and we'll talk tomorrow. And tomorrow came. And my dad just real slowly one day walking through the living room, hands me a piece of paper that's folded over, just hands it to me and walks on. I open it up and I said, what is this? And he said, it's my bill. 
And I look, and he has billed me for every hour that he ever spent with me as a quarterback coach, for every hour that he ever took me to the gym, for every hour that he spent taking me on official visits, for every hour that he ever spent um, helping me make film to send out to college. He, he billed me like tens of thousands of dollars for all the work that he did to get my scholarship. And I looked at it, and I said, this is crazy. And he said, when you pay me back, you can have your $100 for Taco Bell. And I remember thinking... Like you got me. Like I remember at that time thinking, I'm going to do this to my son one day. Like this is so good. I'm going to repeat this. You got me. What he had shown me as Christian, you have a total lack of regard for how good you've had it. You have a total lack of respect for how much we've given you. All you can see is how much you have now, not all the things we poured into you. I had dishonored my dad and my mom by basically counting all of the investment they made in me as nothing because I needed more right then. There was no gratitude. There was no accountability for how I was spending. And I didn't feel real responsible to my parents other than that they needed to give me more money. Listen, showing gratitude, being accountable, being responsible, all these things show honor to God. And if, I were, if you were to ask me, Christian, what is the point of finances? For a Christian, what's the big idea of finances? I would say what Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your money. Like the whole point of money for the Christian is not make all you can make, is not spend all you can spend, is not save all you can save, it's not even give all you can give. The whole point, the main idea of finances for the Christian is honor God with your wealth because everything comes from him and belongs to him. You say, what is honor? It's both an attitude and an action. To honor someone is to regard them with great respect but it's also to fulfill an obligation or to keep an agreement. Stewardship does not mean that we owe God money, but listen, stewardship means we owe him gratitude. Stewardship means we owe him accountability. Stewardship means that we're responsible for what he has given us. So the goal of stewardship is really simple. Honor God with money. That's the goal of stewardship. Are you honoring God with your money? You say, so I have to give all my money to God? That is not what I said. But listen, you don't have to give all your money to God. But here's what God is asking you to do as the owner. He's asking you to invest it in the portfolio that's going to pay you the highest dividends and is going to give him the most glory. God said, listen, I don't want all your money, but I do want to be able to tell you where your money is most valuable. And you say, where is that? It's the same thing that we looked at with our bank of time, our spiritual priorities that scripture sets for us. Where does God want me to invest my money? What portfolio does God want me to use to get the most out of what he's given me so he can get the most out of me for his kingdom? It's really easy. Your relationship with Jesus, your physical and emotional health, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship and responsibilities with your children, your best effort and results in your job, your service to and reliance upon spiritual community, hobbies that bring enjoyment to life. We said several weeks ago, this not only gives you a life that is full, it gives you a life that is fulfilled. And God said, here is my money. Here's where I want you to invest it. This is the portfolio because this is going to bring me great glory when people look at your life and your marriage and your kids and your generosity, and it's going to bring you great blessing. Don't be Bernie Madoff and put it wherever you want or just blow it all. See the portfolio that God wants you to invest in. And because of stewardship, put your money in these areas. See, money is never just about money. And money is rarely just about us. 
Money is always about how do I use what God has given me to accomplish what God has called me to do. That's what stewardship is. So when it comes to money, don't make it about money. Here's what Solomon said about chasing wealth in Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Some of you are, are, are doing that. You're worn out because you work too much, because you want too much money or need too much money. Solomon says don't do that. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they'll be gone. For they'll surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Solomon said, if you get your eyes focused on making money, you're going to get your eyes off of your spiritual portfolio and you're going to miss wealth in your family in the, in the process. You're going to lose all of it at the same time. You not only will miss wealth, you'll miss responsibilities with your kids. You'll not only miss wealth, you'll miss responsibilities with your neighbors that need your help. You'll not only miss wealth, you'll miss staying in shape so you can live 15 more years. Solomon said it can't be about money. If it's about money, wealth in your eyes will keep family, will keep Jesus from being priority, and you'll miss both of them. Solomon says don't make it about the job. Money's not just about building wealth. Money's not just about the job. Ecclesiastes 4, 6, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Solomon said it would be better to have one handful of money and be able to fulfill all your spiritual priorities than to let go of your family, your marriage, your health, your church, your Christian friends, to let go so you can have a little more money and end up losing the money and losing all of them in the process. That's not the way that we invest well spiritually. If working a job is just about money, Solomon says you're going to work too hard and you're going to miss out on the most important things in life. You say, well, if money's not about building wealth and if money's not just about working hard, what is money about? Make money about God. Make money about stewardship. Because good stewardship says if we honor God with our money, if we manage our investments by investing in the portfolio, God has said, brings him glory and us blessings. God says, I'll be with you. Not only what you, will you have what is mine, but you'll have more than what is mine. You'll have blessing on top of the wealth. So everything comes from God and belongs to God. But it's for us and our good pleasure. And it's for the glory of God, for people in our community to see healthy families, healthy lives, people who are living with a season of refreshment because they've learned to manage their money God's ways. So you say, how do we get there? For some of you, like me, 10 years ago, it's a long way off. I'm closing every message this month with a little, what I call broken challenge. These are baby steps that I want to be really honest with you. Probably will not help you financially in the long term. I am not a financial advisor. I'm a pastor. The steps that I'm giving you are just to trigger some things in your mind, which maybe will put a burden in your heart to do things better. But some of you are like Danielle and I 10 years ago when we realized we were not investing God's money in God's portfolio. We said, we got to call time out because we are not living the life we think God wants us to live. We have too much house. We have too many cars. We can't afford the preschool that we go to. We're always stressed about money. This can't be how God wants us to live life. So I reached out to a financial counselor who last week I called to thank again. And I said, I need help, man. Like I am upside down in my finances. No one's taught me how to do anything. Can you help me? And last week as I preached, my wife sent me this email. She was sitting on the front row like she is right there. And when I got back, I had an email on my phone waiting from her. And here's the email from Danielle last week while I was preaching. Christian, as I sit here listening to your message today, I'm so thankful that we aren't broken anymore. I'm so glad God clearly spoke to your heart 10 years ago 
to make some big sacrifices so we could have freedom. I'm sure it hasn't always been easy leading me on this journey, but I'm so thankful for your spiritual leadership in this area. Say, Christian, why is that important? Because some of you need more help than a weekly challenge. Some of you need to finally admit, like we're, we're kind of busted financially, we need some help. That's why we, March 3rd, are giving a one-day finance conference for free with one of our finance professionals so you could start what for you might be a 10-year journey of kind of getting from where you are to investing in the portfolio God wants you to invest in. It may be a year, it may be three years, it may for you, like it was for me, be a decade. These baby steps are just about triggering your mind to be honest enough with yourself to say, all right, I think we need some help. It's why after the one-day finance conference, we'll have a six-week finance class that's free with a finance professional to say, let's put a plan together to really help you get moving on what God has called you to do. But in preparation from that, for that, some baby steps. Number one, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to go back to your I Spy Challenge. Remember I handed that out last week? It's in your bulletin again. I just ask you to write down every dollar that was spent last week, who spent it, where they spent it, how much they spent it. Initial it just so you know who it is. I want you to go back to your I Spy Challenge and I want you to label all your expenses based on the above responsibility. You say, what do I mean? I want you to label every expense last week as one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. Was this for Jesus? Was this for marriage? Was, was this for your health? Was this for your kids? Where are you spending your money? You say, Christian, I didn't even do this little I spy challenge. I wasn't even here last week. Take your bank statement, your latest bank statement. Just go download it from online and label every expense last month based on one of these seven things and see whether you are diversified in the portfolio God says will give you your greatest spiritual health or whether you've got some areas you can change. I also want you this week to continue spying on your money and evaluating your stewardship of God's investment in you for the spiritual priorities of your life. So keep every time you spend a dollar this week, write it down and just put it in one of those seven categories. You might find that you're spending 90% of your money on your kids and 0% on your marriage. You might find that you're giving 10% away to the Lord, but 0% to staying in shape physically and emotionally. You'll see the gaps if you just do these exercises. And then as you see the gaps, I want you to start asking the questions. Am I grateful? Am I grateful like David or, or am I like Christian in college when he went home and told his parents, here's why I deserve more? Am I grateful or am I ungrateful? Am I accountable in these seven areas? Do I realize this is what God has given me money for? And am I using it in those areas? And then number three, as you start asking those questions, ask this question, what can I, if you're a single adult, if you're a teenager, what can I change? If you're a married couple, what can we change to better honor God by investing in the things that God says are most important? Look at your bank statement last month. Look at your I Spy Challenge last week and just start asking, hey, we've got some gaps here. We know that God has told us to invest in this part of our portfolio how are we going to put some money in there? Last week, we didn't put any. Last month, we didn't put any. Last year, we hardly put any. And begin to honor God with your finances. Because if you do, God will not only honor you, he'll bless you. And he'll bring times of refreshing like you never have experienced before. We pray with me.